are times where that doesn't seem true. It doesn't seem like that is a reality, but I know that there is coming a day where I will be able to look back on every day, every moment, every second of my life, and I will see in that moment that there wasn't a time. There was never a circumstance, never a step that I took that His mercy, His goodness, His grace was not with me. It was not right beside me. And I pray, I, thankfully, I know where we're going today in the service, so I know that at the end we're going to be singing that again. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful for that and just an opportunity um, just to, again, remind ourselves who it is that we're dealing with and, who, and what it is that he offers to us. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to open with me to Psalm 139. So Psalm 139, and this morning we're beginning a series a new series that I believe is going to be an anchor series for many in this room. And what I mean by that is this. There are probably a handful of messages, maybe two handful of, of messages that I can remember in my life. I can remember where I was sitting. I can remember um, you know, who was speaking. I can remember different circumstances and emotions and realities that were, that were going on in, in, in my life. And just those anchor messages, I you know, even still remember today, and they stick with me. And I'm, I'm really believing and praying that some of the messages that we're going to deal with in this series are going to be those kinds of messages. And this morning, we begin a series that we are calling Dangerous Prayers. What we're going to do is over the next three weeks, we're going to dive in, and then um, we're going to kind of sprinkle the rest out throughout the year and kind of just keep coming back um, to them. And, and uh, just really just try to immerse ourselves in some pretty awesome and amazing, dangerous prayers. And, and let me begin this way. I think we as a church, if we're going to be honest, we talk about prayer a lot. We preach messages and hear messages about prayer a lot. But what we don't do a lot as a church is pray. What we don't do a lot of is, as members and as children of God is really seek the Lord. We don't pray as we should. I read a quote this week by one of the great Puritans, Thomas Watson, and it, it hit me to the core. And every time I read it, my heart just dropped over and over again. Listen to what it says. It says, Christ went more readily to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. Christ went more readily to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. Meaning, if you don't understand... Christ embraced the cross more joyfully than we embrace our opportunity to go to the Father in prayer. And just let that sink in for just a moment. So this series is about us being able to get past maybe um, some of the things that we say we don't know and give us some prayers to really pray uh, before God, biblical prayers that are, are rich, but at the same time are difficult to pray. So the, the prayers that we're going to kind of go through and jump into and dive into in this series, they're not easy prayers. They're not safe prayers. We're calling them dangerous prayers for a, for a reason. They're dangerous, but yet they're dangerous in a very good way. In fact, in my, as my dad used to always say all the time, in my humble but accurate opinion, um, I, I believe that when we, we do pray, sometimes we spend our time praying probably some really safe and easy prayers. So just think about the prayers that we most often pray. They sound something like this. God bless us. God help us. God heal us. God remove this from me, whatever that is. Um, God give me this, give me that, give me something else. And all of these could be good, but they're safe. Or the safest of all, God put your hedge of protection around me and everything I do, everywhere I go, that is uh, the ultimate of, of safety Prayers. 
And sometimes, if we're going to be honest, our prayers never, never rise above the level of childish prayers. And I don't mean childish from the standpoint of childish or childlike faith, because Lord knows we need childlike faith. We need that faith of a child. But I mean childlike in terms of depth. Sometimes our, the depth of our prayers never go beyond the depth of what a child would pray. And in case you don't have any clue what I'm talking about, let me give you a few examples of prayers that have been prayed by children and I don't know how accurate these prayers are, but I do know they're pretty funny. So just give you a, a few. So the first, dear God, please send a new baby for mommy. The one you sent last week cries way too much. Signed, Stacy. Or dear God, who did you make smarter, boys or girls? My sister and I want to know. Signed, Jimmy. Or I like this one. Dear God, this is my prayer. Could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. That was prayed by a six-year-old Kelly Strickland. <laughs> okay, so the next one. Dear God, please help me in school. I need help in spelling, adding, history, geography, and writing. I don't need help in anything else. It was prayed by a nine-year-old Jordan Chambers. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Another one. Dear God, thank you for the nice day today. You even fooled the weatherman. So uh, we... we Thankful for those prayers. Or oh, I love this one. Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good in there right now. <laughs> Signed, Amanda. Or, dear God, is it true that my father won't get to heaven if he uses his golf words in the house? Signed, Caleb. <laughs> I'm kidding, Chris. I'm kidding. Or, or this one. Dear God, I do not think anybody could be a better God than you. Well, I just want you to know that. I'm not just saying it because you're already God. Signed, Charles. And then, of course, the last one and my favorite. Dear God, I'm doing the best I can. I promise. Signed, a nine-year-old and a present-day Mike Bondanza. <laughs> so when we think about this, these are cute prayers. They're funny prayers. But let's be honest, they're not dangerous prayers. And my prayer is that this series will, will arm us with prayers that are not safe, but it will be really, really beneficial. For when we pray these prayers, we're asking God to do something um, in our lives that will take us out of our comfort zones. And just think about this. Let me just throw this over you this morning. Are you willing to pray dangerous prayers? Are you willing to pray a prayer that if God answered would really change your life? Are you willing to pray a prayer that could transform your life um, move from this point forward in a very, very good and beneficial way. Are you willing to do that? I mean, if you're not willing, then you probably won't be back next week. If you are willing, then hopefully you'll, you'll stay the course. And so we just unpack these. But this morning, we're beginning our series with a, a prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139. Let me just kind of give you a little background. This is a prayer that David prayed when his enemies, as well as God's enemies, were on the attack. And these enemies were accusing David of having false or untrue motives. And unlike us, instead of going to God and saying, God, may you smite them all. Instead, David goes to God and says, God, show me me. God, show me what's in my heart. Show me, God, what's in my life. David prayed a very dangerous prayer before God. A prayer that I pray we will humbly and continually come to God with um, after we dive in and just see the beauty of it. So if you're able, I ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 together. 
And it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We come before your word. We come before God this biblical prayer. God, believing that this is a prayer, God, that you have, you have already shown that you answer. So, God, I pray, Lord, that we would jump into this level of praying, God, of prayers that you've already promised to answer. And that you, in this moment, they would just lead us into to deeper communion with you. Um, get us out of our comfort zones, Father, and help us, Lord, to even leave here today being willing to pray dangerous prayers that could change, Lord, the direction of our lives. God, speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So these are perhaps some of the most moving words in the entire Bible. I mean, these, these two verses are just pure gold, and they offer so much reward for us. But just think about those two words, search me. It's what an innocent person might say to a police officer when they know that they have nothing to hide. It's also what a stupid criminal might say to a police officer when they think they can get away with it. So you can have two different um, ideas here, but here's the point. When you say search me, and, uh, and you think about that term search, it's a picture of searching in order to find out something that you did not previously know. So therefore, when we think about that word search, we have to say this, that word really cannot apply to God. Or to put it this way, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? So has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? God never has a moment where he goes, oh! I mean, God never has those moments. God never like, I get it, I get it. Never, ever, there, there are times where God has that. So therefore, the searching process has more to do with us being enlightened than it does with God being enlightened because God already knows all things. He's the only one that possesses limitless knowledge. He does not learn. God simply knows it all. I love the words of Wayne Grudem who said this, if God should wish to tell us the number of grains of sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky, God would not have to count them all quickly like some kind of giant computer. Nor would he have to call the number to mind because it was something he had not thought of or thought about for a time. Rather, God knows all things at once. God knows all things at once. All these facts and other things that he knows are always fully present in his consciousness. So we are praying to a God that knows everything all at once. Nothing escapes his attention. He knows every detail of us. So what I want to do is I want to take this prayer this morning. I want to break it down into to four parts, basically four lines um, that we see in verses 23 and, and 24 and equip us today with a prayer um, that if we pray humbly before God, will literally change our lives. So the first is this. The first is this, search the depths of my heart. So this is a deep prayer. So this is all about depth here. So search the depths of my heart. I love how David begins um, this chapter. In verse 1, David says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. God, this is what you've done. You've already searched me and known me. But because you've done that, God, continue to search me. Continue to know my 
part. Because God has already done that, our continued prayers, God continue to search me, continue to know me. And remember who it is we're praying to. We're praying to the one who knows us fully. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. He knows every detail of us. God knows us with pinpoint accuracy of who we are. He knows every detail of our lives. I think of the the 15th century legend of an Austrian tyrant by the name of Gessler who um, ruled Switzerland. And he issued a decree and he put a hat um, up on a, a pole in the main square of Altdorf. And he basically said everyone should bow down to that hat as a sign of bowing down to him. Well, a certain individual by the name of William Tell refused to bow down. So Gessler arrested him, and Gessler had heard about William Tell's great exploits with um, the crossbow. So Gessler entered into an agreement with him, saying, If you can shoot an apple off of my son's head, I will let you go. So the time came, and uh, William Tell, um, with pinpoint accuracy, put the arrow right through um, the apple. Now the story goes that William Tell also had an alternative plan in case he missed. He was going to immediately take the second arrow and stick it through Gessler's heart um, and, and try to take off. And as soon as Gessler found out about that, he then arrested him again. And uh, William Tell eventually escaped and assassinated the leader. And most of us, we don't know all of those parts of the story. Here's what we know. We know that there's a guy named William Tell that has pinpoint accuracy in his skill with a bow. And just think about it. When it comes to our hearts, there is only one who is able to accurately know every detail of us with pinpoint accuracy. And let me just say this. Let me break this to us this morning. It's not us. It's not us. There's only one who can know you and know me with pinpoint accuracy, and it's not you, and it's not me. In fact, just listen to what Jeremiah 17.9 says about us. Jeremiah 17.9 says about... this is. Jeremiah, this is God speaking. This is your heart and this is my heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or desperately wicked. Who can know it or who can understand it? Meaning that our hearts are medically incurable. Our hearts, all of our hearts are deceptive. We don't know ourselves as well as we think we know ourselves. Or to put it a different way, We don't know what we're truly capable of if we were to give our hearts over totally and completely to sin. None of us in this room knows what you're capable of doing if you were to give your life over completely and totally to sin. Now, we're quick to go, oh, I would never do that. And sometimes Satan goes, okay, we'll see. We'll see if you'll never do that. But we don't know the extent of how deep or how far we could plunge if we give ourselves over to sin. No one really knows the the absolute corruption that exists in our hearts. In fact, we're terrible physicians. We aren't able to say, this is what's wrong with my heart or that's what's wrong with my heart without saying, yeah, it's sin and leave it at that. But we don't know. We miss the mark even in that way. Therefore, we need an all-knowing all-powerful, all-present God to reveal to us what He already knows to be true of us. And so the plea to be searched isn't for God's benefit. It's for the psalmist. It's for us. This prayer could literally be written, Search me, O God, that I may know the condition of my heart. Search me, God, that I may know the condition of my heart. And let me just say this. When we pray this prayer, 
It's a dangerous prayer because God will show you the condition of your heart. He will show you. In fact, think about this. If God searched your heart right this moment, if God revealed to you your heart, the condition of your heart right this moment, what would be revealed? If God caused everything in your heart that shouldn't be there to rise to the surface in this moment, what would happen? I mean, the honest answer is if it was exposed to everybody, everyone, most of us would take off. I mean, we would out the windows. We would get out of here because we don't want people to know that about us. But God knows. And we need to know. God, search my heart. Then, then David continues to pray second. So the second truth is this. God, know the depths of my fears. So know the depths of my fears. Look at the second part of verse 23. It says, try me and know my thoughts. The CSB says, test me and know my concerns. Other versions say, try me and know my anxious thoughts. Know my anxiety. We're asking God to reveal to us our anxieties or our, our fears, the things that we're most anxious about, the fears that most grip us. And let's be honest, most of the time we refuse to admit the things that, that we're fearful of, or when we do, we do it kind of as a, as a joke or, or not, not very serious in it. But just think about what fear does. Just think about this. Fear distorts our thinking. I know this might sound harsh, but fear makes us stupid. Fear makes us completely, totally stupid. Fear causes us to spend more time worrying than trusting. Fear causes us to make bad decisions in the short term, and it causes us to fail to make good decisions in the long run. Fear can make God look small and our circumstances look huge. In fact, fear can make us seek from people what we can only get from God. And fear can paralyze us where we don't move forward because we're, we're stuck right where we are. And most of us would agree with those things, yet even in agreeing with those things, it doesn't change the fact that we have present fears. It doesn't change the fact that we have present anxieties. What is it that makes you afraid? Think about that. What is it that makes you afraid? And I'm not talking about spiders. I'm not talking about snakes, although that would do it for me. I'm not talking about heights. I'm not talking about that man that's always in your shower behind the curtain waiting for you to open. I'm not talking about that guy. Uh, he'll be there when you get home. Not talking about that. That's not the picture of what God is, is going after here. The point is we live in a broken world where really bad things happen even and especially sometimes to Christians. Bad things happen and fear exists because in the midst of that broken and distorted world, we realize that we are out of control or we don't have control. We're finite creatures. Fear is part of our makeup. So just think about it. What fears currently haunt you? What things make you anxious? Is it fear of losing your job? Is it fear of not having certain relationships or losing the relationships that are important to you? Is it fear of the future? Is it fear of failing? Is it fear of success? Is it fear of what you might lose? Maybe fear of what you might gain? Is it fear of some prognosis that might come upon you? What is it that you fear? And maybe the question today is, why does it matter? Why does it matter what I, I fear? And here's what I believe. When we say, God, show me my anxious thoughts. God, show me my fears. 
We're saying it for this reason, and it's really good. Because what we fear most, please write this down. What we fear most often reveals the area where we trust God the least. What we fear the most often reveals to us the area where we trust God the least. Let me just show you and unpack that for you. When I think about anxiety and think about fear, let me just be honest with you this morning. Just lay mine before you. When I think about anxiety, this week I was anxious. This week I had a, a time of anxiety throughout the week, and it was weird because it was caused by a little five-year-old Indian boy named Malachi who did not have a very good week at school. So all of a sudden, um, we had a few straight days of, instead of having smiley faces brought home, um, he had frowny faces brought home. And I don't know if you know much about Malachi, but Malachi has been spending some time with Brother Steve Marinko. And so that he knows when he's getting interrogated, he shuts down. He's not giving you any information whatsoever. He was like, I know you want it. I know you, have, you want the information. I've got it, but you're not getting it. So he's going to make sure that he knows what I know, and then he's going to say it. But then if, if I don't know it, I'm not getting it. So we have a, a day in our house. It's called Icy Thursday, where I pick the kids up, and I take them to get ices and, and candy. We do that once a week. And, and I'm like, Malachi is going to mess around and not get icy Thursday because we told him, hey, if you get a frowny face, you get no icy, you get no, no candy. So here I am driving to school on Thursday to pick him up, and I call Misty, and I'm like, I'm anxious. I mean, I, I'm filled with anxiety of opening a little book that's going to have either a happy face or a sad face. I mean, what in the world has, has, has things come to? that This is my anxious moment. So I walk up, and um, of course, he said, Daddy, I had a happy face, but of course, he says that every day. <laughs> so that, that means absolutely nothing. So I open up the book, and of course, I open it up, and there on Thursday, is a happy face. And I'm like, yes, he gets candy. Yes, he gets icy because we get icies too. So things are, are good and, and happy. And I, but I think about just anxiety that came just because of, of that. Or let me just kind of be even more serious. I, I've been praying this week. God, show me what fears I'm carrying around. God, what fears I have. And God began to show me things I don't want to admit, but I'm going to. That there are fears in my life of of failure. There's fears of not being the leader that God has called me to be, first of all, in my home, but second of all, as the pastor of this church, not being the leader that God has called me to be, it scares me. And then God began to reveal to me there's, there's fear of what other people think and fear in that way, which, like I said before, these things are showing me where I trust God least, that maybe I don't trust God the way I I say I do when it comes to my family or when it comes to the way I pastor this church or when it comes to the way I say I'm going to do what God tells me to do and I'm going to obey God rather than man. And maybe there's distrust there. And think about this. It's not wrong to be afraid, brothers and sisters. It's not wrong. It, the, the problem is when we dwell on that fear and we let it negatively impact our, um, the way we think, the way we respond, the way we interact with people, our decisions, when, when those things begin to, to interact and begin to control us in that way, we've got a problem. And then we've got a problem because our fears can leave us as a terrible witness to the world around us that's watching. Going, man, they deal with fear the same way I do. There's nothing different there. And then what do we do in the midst of our fear? In order to manage our fear, we think, well, if I can get control of this, 
then my fear will go away because we say that control means no fear. And then when we're trying to fight for control, we realize we're in control of nothing. So therefore, um, our fear escalates and our hope completely tanks and and decreases um, in that moment. But let me just say this. There's hope for us today as Christians because we know who is in control. Therefore, because we know who is in control, our story has a happy ending, even when it doesn't feel like it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, I dare you. I, Mike, what said, I triple dog dare you to pray this prayer. I, I dare you to come before God and say, God, search my heart. God, show me the areas in my life that I am trusting you least. Show me the fears in my life and how I'm trusting you least. And then what happens as we do that, God by his spirit and by his word begins to work in those moments in a way that can be a very victorious moment in our lives. And what I mean by that is this, when suddenly in searching the word of God, we say, I'm no longer going to be held back by fear because God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Or we'll say, I'm no longer going to be tormented by fear because my Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And I know what perfect love is. And I know the one who is able to perfectly love me in every situation. I pray, brothers and sisters, that God will reveal to all of us today and this week that which is paralyzing us, that which is keeping us from moving forward in what God is calling us to do and to be. So God, know the depths of my fears. And the third truth is this. We go to verse 24. God, reveal the depth of my sin. So God, reveal the depth of my sin. So in verse 24, David says, God, see if there be any grievous way in me. One of the most beautiful truths that we know and that we believe around here is that God loves us just the way we are. So we say that a lot. We say God doesn't love some future version of you. God doesn't love the, the, the version of you 10 years down the road when you've got your act together and everything is exactly the way you want it to be. God doesn't, he's not waiting to love that person. God loves you right now. But here's what we do. We, God loves us just the way we are, but it's not God's intent to keep us just the way we are. It's God's intent to take us deeper, to sanctify us, to make us and conform us into the image of his son. In fact, that's why we have the Holy Spirit and not the unholy spirit. So that's, that's why God gave us a Holy Spirit and not an unholy spirit. So if you think somehow along the way that God gave you the unholy spirit, um, you did not get it from God. So just, just so you know, God gives us a Holy Spirit so that we may be conformed to the image of his Son, but just think about the essence of sin in our lives. You know, we often think that sin is just a, a power that sometimes presses upon us, and sin is something that exists outside of us, and it's just a force. But the reality is sin isn't just something that exists outside of us, although it does. Sin is something that exists to the very core of us. It's the, at the very core of our being. In fact, in his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, Cornelius Plantinga writes these words. He says this, The awareness of sin, a deep awareness of disobedience, a painful confession of sin used to be the shadow of the church. Christians hated sin. They feared it. They fled from it. They grieved over it. They agonized over their sins. Then he says, sadly, that shadow has long since dimmed. We blunt our own conscience. 
we darken our own judgment by self-interest. And, hear this, we rebuke in others the very vices for which we are famous. Each of us carries around a deep and calm source of delusion, delusion which undermines the whole principle of good. Each of us carries around a sense where we are, we are under delusion. We, have been, we are delusional when it comes to who we are. So what we do, we live in this world where we, we justify ourselves by comparing ourselves to everyone else. And I love the courage of David here. Like I just said, David's enemies were coming against David and they were saying, they were accusing David of having false motives. And David in this moment doesn't pray, Oh, almighty smiter, may you smite them because they deserve to be smitten. That's not the prayer of David. No, David comes before God and says, God, maybe they're right. God, maybe they're right. Show me, God, what's in me. Maybe they're right. Lord, you know me. So help me to know myself. God, show me. I love the courage of David to say, God, you really know me, so help me to know me. I don't know if you know this. Maybe you don't know this. Maybe you do know this. But it's really hard for us to see our own sin, even in a mirror. In fact, it's a whole lot easier for us to identify a thousand sins of other people, even at a distance. It's so much harder to do that than it is for us or easier to do that than it is for us to see our own sin up close. In fact, we are so good at accusing everybody else while excusing ourselves. Usually we're really, really good at hiding our own sin. We're really, really good at, at um, judging people for sinning differently than we do. We're really good at those things. But I, I read something this week that I want to share with you. I want to lay before you three questions that can help us with self-awareness when it comes to our own sin. Three questions that can help us with self-awareness when it comes to our own sin. The first question is this, what are others trying to tell me? What are others trying to tell me? Meaning this, if you have three or four people, maybe even more in your life, that are coming to you and saying, hey, I love you. I want you to know I love you. But this is something I recognize in you. If you, if you have those people coming to you, don't ignore that. Don't push them away. Don't be angry with them for coming to you in love. Heed, listen to what they're trying to tell you. What are others trying to tell you? But then second, the second question is this. What have you rationalized for some time? So what have you rationalized? In other words, what have you said or when have you said, this may not be right, but it's really not that big of a deal. Or we say this, well, that's just the way God made me. And you know what we're doing when we say that? We're blaming God. We're blaming God. We're, we're doing the same thing Adam did. God, the woman you gave me, this is all your fault. The woman you gave me. We, we begin to blame God. This is just the way I am. Again, God loves you just the way you are. It's ridiculous for you to think you can stay that way. In fact, you cannot have an encounter with Christ and stay the way you are. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Christ changes us. So what are we rationalizing? And then the third question is this, where am I most offensive? Where am I most offensive? Meaning, what areas of my life lead me to say these words? Who are you to judge me? Only God can judge me. Let me just say that again. Here's a scary thing. God is going to judge you. I mean, God, only God can judge me. Well, guess what? He will. He absolutely will. God will judge you. But what areas in our lives do we begin to, to get defensive about and, and fight about and 
pushed back on. Those are clear identifiers of sin that is in our lives. So brothers and sisters, when we have the courage to pray, God, show me the depths of my sin, let me make you a promise. God will show you the depths of your sin. God will show you the things in your life that are not pleasing to you. And when he does, don't deny them. When you ask God to show me my sin, God, and God does, don't, don't you dare look at God and go, those aren't my sins. There must be somebody else's. Stop denying your sin. Stop denying that which is com completely true of you and instead commit yourself or submit yourself, excuse me, to what God is telling is absolutely true of you. Say, as David said in Psalm 51, God, wash me from my sin. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression. My sin is ever before me, God, because you're keeping it ever before me because I'm asking you, God, to reveal to me the depths of my sin. And then the last truth is this. Lead me in the depths of you. Lead me in the depths of you. So, so David at the very end, what does he pray? And look at the very end of verse 24. David says, lead me in the way everlasting. God, lead me. God, lead me. Just think about this. When God shows us the condition of our hearts, when God shows us our fears or our anxieties or the areas where we are trusting him least, when God shows us the depths of our sin, God, he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just leave us and go, okay, well, now you got it. You know, so now you can handle it from here. That's not what God does. In fact, in every detail of our lives, we must come to know, we must come to trust, we must come to believe that we have a God that is leading us into life and never leading us away from life. God is always leading us into life and never away from it. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? I don't agree with you, Micah, because there's something that God is leading me away from that I, it's, it's gives me Comfort, it gives me this, it gives me that, it gives me peace, it gives me all these things, and God is leading me away from it, and therefore, I don't see how you can say that God is always leading me into life. And let me just say that if God is leading you away from something that you think is your life, it's because it's not your life. It's not your life. God is saying, I'm your life. If God is leading you away from relationships, from habits, from other things in your life... Don't kick and scream saying, God, they're my life. No, instead, cling to him and say, God, you're my life. You're my life. And God, because you're my life, you are always leading me into life and never away from life. Therefore, we pray like David did in Psalm 23. God, lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Brothers and sisters, when we have the courage to pray this dangerous prayer, to say, search me, O God, and Know my heart. Know the depths of my deceitful and wicked heart. Or God, test me. Test my fears. Show me, God, where I'm trusting you least. Maybe it's with my children. Maybe it's with my husband or wife. Maybe it's in my, my job. Maybe it's in serving you. Maybe it's in all these, maybe it's in my calling that I'm walking. And show me, God, where I'm trusting you least. And God, see if there's any grievous or wicked way in me. Reveal to me, God, what I need to see, what I need to do in this moment. And then, then God, lead me into deeper life in you. When we pray that prayer, brothers and sisters, 
God will do what we're asking him to do. This is a prayer that God will answer. A lot of times we struggle going, I'm just praying and God's not answering. Well, pray this. And I can assure you God will answer this. In fact, let me end today by challenging you. I challenged you last week at the end of the service, but I want to challenge you now in the message. If you're reading the F260 plan, this verses 23 and 24 of Psalm 139 is our memory verse for this week. Challenge you to memorize this, but even more than memorizing it, I challenge you to pray this continually every day this week. Not just once, pray this continually this week. And don't just pray it um, in passing, pray it, and then listen to this get still and quiet before God. Sometimes we're good at praying, we're not good at quieting ourselves before God. We're not good at listening to what God is trying to say. So we go, well, I prayed it and God didn't answer. Well, because we're not listening. So pray and then get into a place where you can hear God show you, where you can hear God reveal your heart, your your fears, your sin, and you can hear God saying, come to me. Leave that area. Follow me. You can hear that. I challenge you. Again, I double dog, triple dog dare you this week to continually pray this prayer. And maybe, just maybe, there will be areas in your life where it will hurt. But I promise you, if you do this next week, you'll come in here rejoicing in the fact that God has answered you. And God has brought you closer to himself. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to end today by reciting this prayer together. Um, And I'm going to have the musicians come forward, and then we're going to enter into a time of invitation and consecration. But I want us to to say this prayer together and to pray this together. Know that we're not just saying words here. These aren't just words. This is a prayer. This is a prayer that God has promised to answer. So we're going to do that, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a time of invitation and consecration. So join me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in this moment. Lord, we confess, Lord, that oftentimes we do struggle to pray. We struggle to hear. We struggle to do. We struggle. God, we struggle. And Lord, we come before you in this moment confessing, God, that our hearts are oftentimes wicked and we let them stay that way. That fears and anxieties, God, overwhelm us and we don't bring them to your word. We don't bring our fears and concerns to you and, or even worse, God, we don't trust you in those areas and we let that go. Or we understand, God, today just how sinful we are. And Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace and not only showing us the wickedness of our hearts and our sin, but your amazing grace and your promises, God, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, just finish this time today, God. Lord, help us as your people to commit, Lord, to continually this week praying this prayer of God and then putting ourselves in a position that we can listen to you and hear you. Lord, whatever you're telling us in this moment, Lord, we pray that we would be obedient to you. 
Lord, your word says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's liberty, God. So we believe that there is liberty. There's freedom here today, God, for us to be honest and obedient to you. Finish this time. In Jesus' name.